This is part three of a four-part podcast. Hi, my name is Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash paulwheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash paulwheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, better? <laughs> in the previous podcast, we started addressing community, cons- you know, some community things for Wheaton Labs. And then you had to pee. <laughs> yeah. I needed a bio break. Okay. All right. All right. So, I did. Um, there were three uh, items of concern, and uh, uh, we've addressed item one. Right. And now we're on to uh, item two of three. Negotiate long-term rental contracts. The plots were rented on a verbal contract. Um, my response, there are no verbal contracts. It's all in print in public. Out on the Permies forums. Yeah. yeah. In, mm-hmm. um, so the deal is pretty clear. I mean... The the it's it's made pretty clear that I'm I pretty much get to have say over everything, and um, that and that uh, uh, th- you know they can leave any time that they want, and I can end the agreement anytime I want. I mean, either party can end the agreement anytime that they want, and I think that for ninety nine point nine nine percent of the people out there, that would be absolutely unacceptable. Of course that is entirely any rental agreement anywhere um, with the exception of a lease agreement um, which this is not a lease agreement uh, so either party I mean if you live in an apartment you can say ah, I've decided to move out I'm going to go move somewhere else Yeah. and at the same time the landlord can say I've decided to demolish the building <laughs> so here's your 30 days notice or Whatever. You know, whatever there's a reason. Yeah, here's your 30 days notice. So, um, but, of course, I do have the option. I mean, it, because of it's just land and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I have, I do have, the, but I mean, like, I worked really hard to, like, make it be this huge amount of notice and all this time to rent or to sell your improvements and stuff. And it's like... Wow, it was just you know. So I because I think part of it was is is that he got into this space where it's like I'm in control now. I will dictate to you what you will do, even though he's already moved out, which is bizarre. Yeah, I I think you know yeah the deal why people would want to rent here long term is multifaceted there's like minded people you have access to far more acreage than your one acre plot which you don't often have you have like minded neighbor, neighbors less pollution vectors you know yeah. some people have properties where their neighbors are dumping toxic git you know yeah. and or screaming at them over the fence i mean oh yeah yeah I, um, I know who you're talking about that's fairly <laughs> recent yeah. there's not you know this 
for the most part, is a very, very peaceful place without those toxin vectors. And you can even have the honeybees and not worry about your honeybees being killed by, you know, people spraying. Necantinoids. Yeah, yeah, next door, things like that. So there's there's quite a bit of land. There's like-minded people. There's access to equipment, access to the big kitchen at the, you know, big relatively (laughs) at the Fisher Price house. You know, there's there's lots of access to so many different things, Um, and that's why I think somebody starting out would want to rent here and. And the prices are posted out in the forums two years ahead of time, yeah. even. You know, and it and it's something... Oh, I don't want to be held to two years, but right. it's usually it more than been. a year. It has been. And it's not, you know, they... The what he's putting here is long-term rental contracts. We have that. We have shallow roots. We have deep roots. We there is a contract that could be negotiated. I thought the term they used was um, fixed rent. You know, kind of like they wanted. You know. Well, yeah. Price fixing, so they didn't have to worry about. They they just thinking you're going to increase, increase, increase. Okay, and I want to address that here in a sec, but but first what I want to do is I want to address, you know, you pointed out a couple of times Mm -hmm. that they rent an acre, but really they kind of have access to 200 acres. Yeah. And and I don't think that's been made clear. Um, And so then, like, if somebody somebody had uh, cattle, they were raising cattle. Yeah. Then um, yeah, you'd have access. You know, you could you could do rotational grazing through the whole property. And uh-huh. of course, for anybody's ant plot or deep roots plot or whatever, that would be on a case by case basis um, of like you know what they're okay with. Whether they that one acre plot someone has, whether they want the grazing animals to come through or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, but um, uh, as opposed to like if you went out and you bought three acres, then you're probably going to be surrounded by sprayers, and um, you're you know you're not going to be able to rotate. Uh, you know, and you're not going to have access to hundreds of acres for your cattle. Which is, you know, how I picked this size was because I thought people are going to want to raise cattle. And this is, you know, kind of, this is a good size for cattle. Right. And that's the other thing that's, um, a lot of people, they'll get one milk cow, which seems from what you've told me about cattle, is they're herd animals. To have just one, it's almost like cruel and unusual punishment. Well, let's not go that far, but I think I like the idea that whoever turns out to be the cattle person, mm-hmm. that they want to raise cattle in a way that's like maybe a bar or two or maybe even three above. Um like you know the, the norm, or they might they might even set a whole new bar, right? You know, in which case I believe such a person is going to be saying something like, "Okay, I've got a dairy cow, and I've got some beef cattle, and and they're they're a herd, they're a small herd, sure, but a herd, yeah." All right. Um, okay, if anybody wants to to do something interesting, then we record it in email, uh, just to make sure nobody forgets. So, right. there, so it's 
everything that we've done is documented, and and we go back yeah. to those emails to see exactly what has been documented. Yeah. Um, and so I don't understand. Uh, so so negotiate long term rental contracts. Okay. Um, uh, but it makes it much harder to have any future certainty. Uh, is the next thing he says. If your intent is to be a raging douchebag, then you should expect to no longer live here. <laughs> if your intent is to be decent, according to my standards, which I think people get a pretty good idea of what my standards are by listening to hundreds of podcasts, then I hope we have a relationship that lasts for decades. So he's saying he wants... um Long-term rental contracts, and who wouldn't at four hundred dollars per year? Right. You know, and it's like I want to build myself a big fancy hotel and start renting out rooms and be charged only four hundred dollars a year. And it's like, no, I'm not okay with any of that. I mean, and and then you know, I'm, I'm going to get to it here in a moment. But but basically, the thing is, is that I think I've made it clear that I feel like I'm going to end up at about two thousand dollars per year for an acre and that will hit maximum capacity for that plot at about 24 to 30 people so on the full 200 acres and then we're we're done and that's all there's going to be um and so and this isn't really about me making epic coin 2000 per acre per year per year yeah yeah just clarifying yeah yeah, and so um, and I think I've always said that that's about. I'm not, I'm not going to try and say it like, and I promise, because it's like if inflation hits or you know, or I don't, the reverse, yeah, you know, sure, yeah. you know, and it's like I'm going to make the best of it. But at this moment, that's what I'm thinking, and this is not about making big money. This is about uh, growing permaculture experts, right? And I kind of feel like. I think some people are going to come saying, I hope to someday become a permaculture expert. And other people are going to come and say, I'm going to be here for two years, but I want to learn about uh, um, natural building and uh, permaculture gardening and things like that. And then in, uh, then I'm going to sell my improvements. So I'll have learned some things and I'll move on and then hopefully it'll give the next person a head start. So, um, all right. Uh, this is the cornerstone of this type of community. Uh, in 2005, I figured out that if I kept working by myself, the best I, I could accomplish is 0.8 SEP units, but my head was full of three SEP units. Therefore, a permaculture community was required. And now my head is full of 10 SEP units, and that's factoring in that SEP has done so much more than he had in 2005. But as I studied community, the primary question was, if you're in community... How does the community expel an icky person? And, and this is the most important part, and what if the community decides that I am the icky person? <laughs> Permaculture is a very perennial system. And it's like, I don't want to go in and do all my perennial things only to get kicked out. And as is demonstrated Today, there are people who think I'm fine and lovely, and then at some point in time, they change their mind. And they don't just change their mind and like, I've decided to not be friends with Paul. I've decided to travel this other path. It's like, holy shit! 
Look at this. This is some serious anger shit. And so I kind of feel like, okay, I I admit people get upset with me, and a lot of and, and it can be for all sorts of weird reasons. But it's like I got to do this permaculture shit, and I I've got so much to get done, and I don't want to get kicked off of a plot. And there are some permaculture people that we know of that go and build permanent systems, and it's like they just can't seem to make it two years wherever they go. Okay. Therefore, um, be decent by my standards of decency and be here for decades. That's the mission. Or choose to be a dick and get sent down the road. This way, everybody who comes here knows if they have a bad neighbor, then they won't be a bad neighbor for long. And so I think, I think that there's going to be people listening to this podcast and they're going to think, I can't go there because it's too precarious. I could get kicked out. And then there are also people listening to this podcast that are saying, like, I could easily go there and I would love it there because anybody that is icky is going to get kicked out. And, I mean, I kind of feel like I've made it super-duper easy to be here. And people, this particular person is a great example. I mean, there have been people that have left, and they've left entirely gracefully. And um, they, some people come, and Fred came, and he's only going to be here a few weeks. It's been over two years he's still here. Um, uh, Jesse Grimes has now been here over two years. Um, so there are people who are like, no, this is easy. It's no big deal. And then there are people that are like, oh, I've decided to go elsewhere. And then there's that rare person where it's like, I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> and I want to make this all about me. And, and I kind of feel like, okay, hey, 47, um, I'm trying to build community. 47 is, I don't know, he was here. Uh, it's, it, he's gra- they're grasping at things that aren't really issues, as we're pointing out. Right. We're just trying to move through them and explain, um, w- what the discrepancies are and what the misinformation is. Okay, let's move on to his next item then. Yeah. His next item is, Paul threatened to raise the rent on one ant when he came by to make a video for his profit. And this is part of the negotiate the rent fixing or whatever. Yeah. This okay. is part of item two, really. So Yeah, we're we're yeah. still on item we're still on part two. Yeah. You just oh. said the next issue and I thought that could oh, be. Misleading. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So this is a, this is the next sentence in, in in item two of three. Okay. Paul threatened to raise the rent on one ant when he came by to make a video for his profit. And by his profit I I think it means me. Yeah. Uh the ant said Paul either had to pay or could not video. Okay, so for those people who have the PC, PDC video, you can see the five-hour tour that I gave at the very beginning. Uh, it starts at one hour, 54, sec- 54 minutes and 40 seconds. Evan asks for donations to get the tour of his plot. I refer to it as smart. He then says that he wants $20 for the videoing. I pay... The $20. Where is the threat? There was never any threat. Yeah. This is entirely fiction. 
It's like, you know you got to be fucking awesome when if somebody's got to, like, make a campaign about how awful you are, they have to make up fiction. Yeah. So, I mean, the nice thing about this one is it's on video. We have video proof. Um, so, frankly, I do, I think... I mean, what what Evans got there is so close to Gertitude. It's it's a beautiful thing, and it's all on video. You can go and and see the tour right now, and it's 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 pretty amazing. Right. Um, and the fact that he's asking people to throw in a couple of bucks, which several people did, and he's asking me for twenty bucks. I mean, I, I kind of feel a little bit like um, uh, it would have been good for to him know to, before. to know before. Yes. But even still, it's like. Dude, I'm trying to build community here. And I know you would like to have there be more community. Throw a guy a bone. And as far as making profit, yeah, the, the Kickstarter did really well. Um, so our Kickstarter, we asked for, uh, I think it was 6,800, and we got 87,000. So it was 1,400% funded. That is fantastic. Yeah. So I, I like to say it was your sixth successful Kickstarter, although it's hard for me to say that because I trip over my tongue a lot. It, it, it was. <clears throat> Number six. Sixth six successful Kickstarter. I, I didn't say that three times I wasn't fast. sure that that one would get even barely funded. And so that was amazing <clears throat> that it did so great. Well, and this is another thing where people think, oh, Paul is so rich. He got $87,000. Well... <laughs> <laughs> People are not thinking clearly about how that works. Kickstarter takes what ten percent, ten percent right off the top to process it. There's always, you know, two to five percent that don't um, follow through on their pledges, like their cards get denied. There's then there's um, the other content creators that got. I had a deal with two other people, and then on top of that, I made deals with a bunch of people. I said to publicize it. If you tell people, here's a link, and if they buy through this link, I'll give you 20% kickback. And there was there was a lot of people that really helped. And right. So and there anyway, were in the end expenses, and you just go slice, 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 slice around the pie. You know that is not eighty-seven thousand in Paul's pocket. No. So basically, when we got all done with the PDC and the ATC, and then I paid my medical expenses, <laughs> I had nothing left. Hmm. And so it's like um, uh, it was. I mean, it was good to get a boost and clear out some stuff. But um uh and 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 but oh jeez and it was awesome. still I think it's great he wants to charge twenty bucks and it's like no that's that's smart that's smart I'm for it would have liked a heads up for it kind of feel like it would have been smarter if if he let me do it for free because I'm trying to help him right but sure <clears throat> twenty bucks yeah all right um. Next, the next line, still on item number two of three. We had no idea what rent would be in a few years. It was likely to keep going up as we improved the village. We were likely to gentrify ourselves out because we had no wages. <laughs> all right. I, let me read all the junk I got here. Okay. All right. I pointed out several times that the plan was to end up at something like $2,000 per year. 
that I was making it sweeter now because we're getting started. Further, if I was doing this for money, why should I fuck with it at all? The whole Ant Village program runs way in the red. And who needs all this drama? Somebody linking... Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. Somebody linking to this said something about how everybody in the world has ideas, but very few people have the courage to actually try. I think he was trying to say that the ants tried, and I didn't even do as much as the ants, which has some truth to it. I mean, I, I, I think that of all the people that come here and tell me uh, what I should do, that I think I would need about a hundred hours a day to just be able to do all the things that people expect of me. I mean, expect, not just like suggest, but expect. Right. right. Where's all your chickens? Why didn't you build the fence? Why didn't, you know, the, 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 yeah. the, and don't forget, why are there not more podcasts? Why are there not more videos? Why, 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 why? So it's like, you know, I think that there's a good point. And the, the ants did a lot of work. Uh, some of the ants worked harder than others. Um, we mentioned the thing about how 7 a.m. was not a good thing, and that was a showstopper to, to come down uh, to um, uh, to be part of the, the boot camp. Um, and uh, I know uh, some of the ants probably worked a good 20, 30 hours a week. Maybe some of them even worked 40. And I know some of them couldn't do two hours a week. That just cramps their style. They want to watch the clouds pass. And that's okay. That's totally fine. But um, when we're going to talk about uh, trying, then I kind of feel like, you know, when I'm when I'm not all fucked up, I, I usually put in a good 100-hour week. <laughs> well, and this is the people who have owned property in the past or who have done their own homesteading understand what it takes to pay for what you've paid for. Yeah. They understand that that requires a lot of Kickstarters and or a lot of time at the computer to get the money. Um, you know, let alone all the other things we coordinate and facilitate and administer and yada, yada, yada. So... There's a lot of people who understand the time that takes and the, and the people who have never paid for their own property before are, you know, some of those people still get it too, but it's, it's just remarkable to me that people think they can have the land, they can have the equipment to use, they can have, <laughs> you know, Wi-Fi at base camp, they can have all of these things, and that, oh, it doesn't cost Paul anything. <laughs> you know, he's making all this money, and, you know, and he feeds us these big feast nights, and he feeds the people in the boot camp program, but, you know, oh, Paul's not doing anything. <laughs> he just sits around in his office and looks at porn all day. Yeah. Which, you know, porn is really fascinating stuff, but... <laughs> I, I spend at least a little bit of time doing other stuff. 
it, yeah, and so people get it, and they also get that w- we have done a lot here for infrastructure and for trying to make things work better. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, for all of this, we've got to keep coming back. For every person who's being a psycho nitwit and saying awful things, there's probably a dozen people that have been lovely, and, you know, um, in, in their own ways. And, but we give, and this is, this is kind of like um, Cunningham's Law. And we give we give ten times more time to the psycho nitwits than we give to the lovely people, which is wrong. Mm-hmm. And yet here we are doing it. And um, but all right, I think that when those people, if if it is that they're suggesting that the ants are the ones that are doing the work, and I am not, then I think there's some truth to it. But I worked my ass off to buy this land, and have sacrificed a lot to try to pull this off. I think it is very few people that are willing to open their land to something like this. And you can now see why they stopped doing it, this sort of twisted drama. Now, I I really want to emphasize, I want people who are listening to this to be open to the idea of trying this. And I want to emphasize that, that you won't be subjected to as much awful as I've been subjected to. So I don't want this awfulness to scare you off. At the same time, I really hope that we're going to improve things so much so that this level of awfulness never happens again. And I think this podcast is one piece in trying to prevent it. So so people will hear this podcast, and hopefully there will be dozens of people that will say, that is the place where I want to go and be. That is the place where I want to go and live. And that because they heard this podcast that they're going to choose to not only be awesome and decent, but if somebody on the lab becomes icky, then that person will say, hey, that's not cool, man. That is, you're going to sacrifice what I want to have. You're going to shit all over what we're doing here. And, you know, for no reason. I, I'm sorry, I still don't know what the reason is for all this hostility. Um, because, I don't know, you want a little a moment of fame of sorts? Well, let's get to okay. your points right. here, because I have one to add, I think. Okay. Um, this works for him. I am now going to share a story of a guy I will name Andy. Oh, you know who this is. <laughs> but Lovely that's, guy. That's not his real name. It's not his real name. Uh, Andy was bonkers about permaculture. He had attended about a dozen PDCs. I think he's probably still bonkers about permaculture. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. But lovely dude. Would you agree? <laughs> yes. Nice man. Nice man. Very smiley. Very smiley man. He bought land and taught a PDC for $450 and 40 people came. It rained. <laughs> but people were super happy. Community formed and Andy charged super cheap rent to encourage community. Within a couple of months, these people became really mean to Andy. <laughs> they wanted guarantees for cheap rent. Sound familiar? And they threatened all sorts of legal stuff to force Andy to make the place come up to code. Andy worked and worked and worked on the place. Sounds like a children's story, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) To make people happy. But the more he did, the more displeased these people were. They actually came together 
and their awful, nasty hatred of Andy. So it was bonding. Nothing brings people together like having a common enemy. Right. I was invited to visit the community several times. I think you went out there with me a couple of times, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I was asked by the group to mediate between them and Andy. Were you there when they asked me that? No, not that time. Okay. All right. It was. I was at a community event as part of my being on a community incubator board. Right. And um, several of those people were at this event, and they all came to me and asked. Uh, let me be clear. Andy was awesome, and these people were fucking monsters. Andy kicked them all out and started over. He started a second group. And the FBI raided them for pot and cleared the whole group out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I bet they had pot, though. Yeah. <laughs> I bet it was there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the property was becoming magnificent because of Andy and permaculture. These people were parasites on the system that would spend their days uttering the word permaculture. I emailed Andy to ask them if there have been any further adventures. He said, founder syndrome is very real. He was charging rent that was less than half of what he could get because he loved permaculture and he loved people and he loved permaculture people uh, best of all. And he loved, loved, loved the idea of growing a beautiful permaculture community. He thought the first group was going that was going sour was a fluke, like oh, just a bad group. That it happens, you right. know that right. that one hundred percent of the population is <laughs> bad. After the second group, he extracted himself from having a direct relationship with the people that would be living there. So he had a manager. So he has a layer of indirection between him and the people that are there. He rarely goes there, which is kind of sad because. He yeah. really wanted to be part of it because he loves permaculture and he loves permaculture community and all that stuff. Right. So now he charges a fair rent and he uses all of the extra coin to pay for permaculture improvements to the property. So then he hires professionals to come in and do projects to make yeah. it more permaculture-y. Yeah. Um, and, and so... Um, yeah, lots of, I'm sure that there's lots of paperwork involved. Like if there's going to be a manager, the manager's going to say, you have to sign this. I need to do a, uh, a credit check and I need to, oh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, look up, what's the one where they look at your criminal record? Background check? Oh, right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And so I'm going to do all these things and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll decide whether or not I'm going to allow you to live here. Right. Well, and you have tried to have a land manager the whole time we've been here to have a little bit of a layer of interaction here, though that hasn't um, always succeeded. Um, and it's and a land manager is a lot different than a property manager or a rental manager, so the, there's less indirection with how um, we've been doing things with a land manager. Little less indirection, but right. I mean, I I still interact with people. I mean, I there are some people who come here who want to talk to me, mm-hmm. and they they like visiting with me and and stuff. But I don't want to make that the the default because I know that some people 
can't handle the Spider-Man thing, yeah. you know? And, and so it's like, okay, I want to make everybody comfortable. And one way of making everybody comfortable is to withdraw myself. But Fred is awesome. Fred's a real sweet guy, and everybody can talk to Fred. I can't imagine anybody objecting to talking to Fred, ever. Uh, and so Fred's Fred's great. It, it, everything works way better because Fred's here. Um, I can understand 47 would like to lock the rent in at $800 every two years. But that was super cheap for the folks that are getting stuff rolling. I thought that people would help with the community projects and then would generally, and that would generally be rent. Uh, sometimes people would pay in actual money, but for the most part, people would work on stuff for rent. So, like, help with the projects in exchange for, and we, you know, we did a little bit of that, well, but not with this guy, but with some of the others. Yeah, we just assumed that anyone coming to try and build their own house to live in would know that and get food systems set up would know that how much time would have some guess that oh that might take a little time <laughs> so it might be hard for me to work on Paul's projects and build my own shelter before winter so we just assume people would come with savings or residual incomes or whatever and then once they're protected from the elements then they might start looking at either working on your projects in exchange for rent or in exchange or when you had more cash or the projects where you were, were willing to pay some cash or they'd start developing their own income streams and have ideas along that or be brewing ideas while they're building and, you know, stuff. So they would kind of start thinking of these things and planning for these things as they're going along. I mean, we know when you're living off grid, you know, chop wood, carry water, build your own shelter, yeah. that takes time. So we, So I think we get that yeah, that's a lot of time, and that's hard work. And we never, you know, expected that people would be as as broke as they've been, I guess. You're right. I mean, not everybody has shown up and been broke. That broke, yeah. yeah. And there have been some people where it's like they showed up, and they've got something in the bank, and, and yeah. they're getting it all to work out. And they're, yeah. you know, and, and uh, I think that... Um, there are people that would show up and they would have a structure built, a humble, small structure built in a week. And they would have a fence built in a week. And they would have gardens built and planted in a week. And and I at the now granted, um, that's we're talking about five percent of the population would be able to to do something like that. Um, and then you could start working on a more elaborate structure, you know. Uh, uh, so there's, so I think it's entirely plausible. But of course, what we're seeing is a lot of people who get here, and they've never done much, or a lot of them they've never done anything. Yeah, they're just learning. And and uh, yeah, they're starting mm -hmm. either 
Like they might think that they're showing up with 30% of the skills that they'll need, and then they're discovering that they showed up with less than 1% of the skills that they're going to yeah. need. And that's frustrating. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it's like it's a lot of work. And so I think for a lot of them, procrastination sets in. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, summer's long and uh, they, they put it off. Um, and so it's like, it's, anyway, it, I, I do think it's possible for somebody to show up in the spring and before summer hits. They've got shelter, fence, gardens ready to go. And then by the time they get to the end of the summer, they've built a much better structure, and they've they've they're, they've got something nicer to live in. And the previous structure might turn into uh, an animal shelter or uh, <laughs> uh, intern habitat or something right. like that. Okay, right. now on to item three of three: um, earn wages. Residents were prohibited from holding a job in town. We were not allowed to leave the property more than twice per week. All right, my response. Just to be clear, several people said they wanted to come be an ant for uh, some other... Wait. Or some other form of resident. Or some other form of resident here and commute to a day job. I discouraged that path for people living on base camp and said outright no for people living on the lab. Yeah, you talked about that in the the podcast before this one. I am not doing all of this for people to do a commuter job. I am doing all of this for people that want to make a go of living off the land. Eventually, I want this to be a bike ped community. One of the other ants told me that his short-term goal is to cross the gate no more than once a month. And in the long run, he hopes to go longer than a year. I think, I think that. That is understanding the values here. Right. I'm not trying to build an apartment complex or set right. people up to have crazy cheap rent so they can right. do a commuter job. Right. No. Now, if somebody wants to, okay, there have been people that did get a job in Missoula. They stayed in Missoula <laughs> and came to their plot on the weekends. So, yeah, right. yeah, you can totally do that. It's, I mean... I'm not saying you can't have a fucking job, right. but at the same time, I'm also saying I'm not doing all of this and making this so cheap and putting up with so much crazy, all for the sake of somebody to have a place where it's like, I just pitch a tent <laughs> and then I commute to work. So no, it's, um, this is, this is for people who have a mission. Yeah. To try to live off the land. Well, and and it's totally fine. Do you talk about this? It's totally fine if people have, you know, agile work or remote work. And, sure. and you know, maybe they get their own hotspot up on the lab. Maybe they commute two whole miles down here to base camp and use Wi-Fi at base camp to do something across the Internet um, to help pay for you know, their homestead and things like that. I I mean, that makes sense to us. And that can be a better fit with this kind of lifestyle. I mean, that's what, you know, we're looking for. Or you could join the boot camp and build the skills, get fed. And we even have that program where, like, you can earn two or three hundred bucks a month on top of that. 
if you want. Yeah, yeah. And and the boot camp goal is that, you know, they all help each other, you know, after the project time is done, that there might be time for the boots to help each other. So yeah, it depends on depends. it depends okay. on stuff. Okay. But okay. So yes, there is a rule listed in the Ant Village document that says you cannot cross the gate more than twice a week. I am looking for people that want to come and practice permaculture. Maybe they show up with enough coin in their pocket that they can get by for a year or two until their crops produce enough. Or maybe they have great hunting foraging skills. Or maybe they have an Internet job. And I have a floating ore there because I think there is a lot of other stuff. There's, there's, <laughs> here's what it says in the Ant Village document on permies. It's public. Anybody could read it income opportunities. One, I hope that at least a few ants arrive with residual income streams. Now you know why I talk about it so much. And some people call that passive income streams instead of residual. Sure. But, yeah. I think some ants will arrive with some sort of online or long-distance biz. So that would be agile work. Right. I think some deep roots people and some ants will be hiring for short-term or long-term. I can think of a few things for which I would be willing to pay. Now, of course, there was a time when I didn't have quite... Yeah. There are, there's going to be times. Don't count on me to always have money. And then... Behind that, there's even a whole long conversation about when we did have coin in the coffers for the bounty program, there were weird things behind that. Like, you know, people felt that their time was worth New York, you know, pay. And and it's like, really? $40 an hour? You should be getting $40 an hour. I've seen your work. It's like not even worth minimum wage. Um, I want to take a quick sidebar here. I know you have a list of even more things. Yes. But with bounty work or with your pay, you are a cheap bastard. And, True. And I say that in, you know, to be kind of complimentary. <laughs> but there's a couple different factors here. Um, uh, the cost of living is generally kind of low in Montana, which means the wages in Montana are kind of low compared to a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. So when you're paying for work in Montana, it's you'll get paid less than a lot of areas that are more metropolitan. So And then you are going to start out with the cheapest you can get away with because you're trying to make everything work. You have a lot going on, and you're not just throwing money at things as a charity case. So when I say you're a cheap bastard, I mean that because you're trying to be smart. And I'm saying these to also say, I think you're very fair. I think sometimes you start things out too cheap, but it's until you build a relationship with someone. I've seen you, someone did above and beyond on a job, so you gave them a bonus. And I'm not, you know, it was like, wow, that was better than I expected. Thank you. Cool. And here's extra And money. here's some extra. I think I threw an extra 200 bucks or something. Well, and, and so I've seen that happen. And I also think if someone is um, out there working eight to five, and taking a normal lunch break, you know, they're yeah. putting in a full eight hours and the job still took 
a lot longer than what the bounty really reasonably should have covered. Um, and, but they've really been working, and you've seen that they've been working. Right. They, You might work with them, but mostly... Once you have worked with someone, developed a sense of their reliability, a sense of their skill set, a sense of their work ethic, and then you come up with a new project and you both have history with each other, you know, you will be coming upon, you will be able to meet with a fair bounty going forward on that with that person once you develop that relationship. You're going to start out cheap at first. Because see, I don't think I start out cheap. I think yeah. I think the prices we picked for a lot of the bounties okay. are along the lines of what we would pay if we hired a pro. Okay, yeah. You know, so if a pro came in and did this, a pro would charge me this much money. Yeah. And it's kind of like okay, but the thing is, is that we have people come in and, and it's like okay, it's this much money to do this thing, and yeah. and not only. Do they do an absolutely horrible job? I mean, yeah. I'm I'm sorry. There there have been some people that did great work. Yeah, yeah. As you were just talking about. Yeah. But there's like like I'm thinking of one. There's one in my mind right now. Um, and it's like oh wow that was, and and yeah. it should have taken three four days five days tops. Uh, if a pro did it, a pro would have been done in three days. And um and and these two guys. It was spread out over like two and a half months, and it was done so poorly, and it was just it was awful. No, no, I I so, hear you. I I just think I just wanted to make that sidebar that when you have money to pay people, it's a reasonable and healthy thing for both parties. It can be. I think yeah. sometimes it takes developing that relationship, though. All right, I okay. So the next. Item is, um, we're still on this list of income opportunities. Number four, Mm -hmm. I suspect that most ants will have a little something in the bank for tools, materials, seeds, food for the first year or two, etc. Number five, I suspect that there will be some income opportunities once in a while. Uh, uh, number six, there is no guarantee of income. Uh, part of the mission for Ant Village is to end up in a state where your income needs are very small. Number seven, develop income with videos or books about the experience. Check out Jesse's Patreon account. So Jesse was getting like 120 bucks a video. Um, yeah. I was thinking like, way to go, dude. I mean, hell, put out a video a week and you got like 500 bucks. That's, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, if your rent's paid up front and you just need to cover, you know, your cell phone and a few incidentals, you know, that's pretty good. Food opportunities. Wild crafting. Number two, what you grow. Number three, hunting and fishing. Number four, buying food from others on the lab. Number five, organic or better food only can be purchased in Missoula. We want organic poop in our poopers. All right. When 47 arrived, I still had cash flow and offered cash for my bounties, but 47 wasn't interested. There were tasks where I was offering something like $100, and he countered to say he wanted $250 for it. I declined. No biggie. Um, I'm not sure if I pointed out later on or not, but, but um, 47 did not do great work. <laughs> right. And so then he also said oh, that... Oh, we could work for Paul, but he only paid in scrip. Paul created a currency called fish. 
Fish were stored in some unknown ledger. It was always a mystery how many we had, but at least I did not have to pay rent this year because I had some mystery fish from repairing vehicles. Oh, this is the part where I talk about how he sucks at repairing vehicles. (laughs) Uh, As with all the other stupid shit that 47 posted, this is a rat's nest. I paid cash, well, checks or PayPal, for years, and then I had my spinal cord injury and my coin dried up. I still had projects that needed to be done, and ants still needed to pay rent. So we came up with fish. People... Farmstead yield standard hour. Okay. People could do a task to earn fish that would cover their rent. Jocelyn tracked some fish, but Fred tracked most of the fish. Fred and Jocelyn exchanged notes. So if 47 came to you and said, how many fish do I have? Then I'm sure you would reply and tell him, but I'm pretty sure 47 has zero fish because no deal was ever struck. Well, um, what we did is I'm trying to figure out how to reply quickly. So mostly Fred was managing fish and Fred would let them know. And where these... Uh, this is something, that, a spreadsheet that Fred could look at, or I could look at, or you could look at, but we just didn't uh, give access to it to residents just because we didn't want people monkeying with it. So Fred mostly uh, did it and would tell people how many fish they had. Okay, and then the, here's a point. Uh, Jocelyn was getting hit with a lot of requests between ants to transfer some tiny amount of fish from one person to another. So we finally had to put a stop to that. It was too much for Jocelyn to keep track of. Uh, as a solution, we dug up a pile of coins I had from Jack Spearco. Uh, they are one-ounce copper coins. I think I have a couple hundred. We were planning on handing those over to folks so they could trade as much as they wanted. Of course, drama happened first. Right. So they wanted, uh, you know, to use this as an alternative currency and and use it between each other. And and it just seemed like it could be an accounting nightmare for myself or for Fred. So we were saying, okay, well, if you want to trade fish, you can do it one time a year. That was a way to limit it. And then we were like... Unless you paid something. Yeah. Like... You know, and and people were so desperate for being able to have some kind of currency because they didn't have other savings or other income that they wanted away. So we were trying to figure out how to, you know, use Jack's coins as alternative currency there. But we never, yeah, they never got deployed. Yeah, because um, I had a month to get back to them on this point, mm-hmm. but by the time the month had passed, you know. Icky happened. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right. So it was never a mystery of how much you had. Yeah. As a responsible adult, you know how much you have. I mean, people have, like, people who have checking accounts. Yeah. Have a way of tracking how much they have in their checking account without asking the bank. Well, and they were told any time they received fish, they could have kept their own ledger, even if they didn't have access to the one Fred was keeping. They right. could, that would have been the smart thing to do, to keep track of it yourself, just to double check that Fred didn't make an error. I mean, because he wouldn't intentionally, but sometimes people, you know, drop a ball here or there. 47 had zero fish, and 47 never earned any fish that was ever applied to his rent. 47 repaired vehicles, and I put the word repaired in quotes, um, but I don't think any of those repaired lasted more than a day. 
and uh, the trades for that were all moneyless and fishless. He used some of my resources for his personal projects. I think we used my truck and trailer to bring his car here from Missoula once. And on other occasions, he used my solar leviathan to power his welder so he could repair his car. Um, I gave a lot to 47 and helped 47 repeatedly, and he always seemed cranky. Oh, well. And that's it. That's that's the uh, the three of three things. And uh, then there's a, a yeah yeah. I, I I just think the three concerns they wanted the location um, revealed. They didn't want us to keep the location private, and they wanted um, uh, rent control basically. And they and what was the third one? They wanted to be able to leave the property to have jobs in town. I think they really were struggling with income there. Um, and we've talked about that. Um, I, some ant village income ideas I heard being tossed around were for eco retreats or some kind of eco tourism where people would come to that ant village plot for these experiences, you know, more workshops, um, or even renting, they would go stay in their tent out on the lab and rent out their, you know, cool little eco homes. So these, these are the kind of things they were imagining. And there was a misconception that not listing our location made those income streams not possible or not as profitable. It, it and this was not the case. We have been able to rent our cabins and rent the TP without revealing the location. We have been able to have workshops without revealing the location until after people pay. You know, yeah. there there are ways that people could make income here without revealing the location. Um, and and I think there were people who tried some of these things and they struggled at doing it because they really hadn't built up the skills or, or, or gave it the attention it needed to make income doing some of these things. Um, and so they were struggling. It's like sometimes when you learn a new skill, you're not like a carpenter. There's entry-level carpenters, and then there's master carpenters. You're not going to get the master carpenter rate when you just barely learned how to wield a hammer. Right. So so some of these rental and workshop things were kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe you'll lose money, maybe you'll break even until you build up the skills and get things working better um, and get better at doing this kind of stuff. And and I think the residents, uh, I think this was a surprise to the residents and, and a difficulty and a frustration. And I think this come, is where that, oh, Paul scammed us is coming from. And <laughs> it's not our fault your business ideas failed <laughs> yeah yeah so we tried and we have provided hours and hours and hours of help and ideas and promotion on permies and and other things like that to help these business opportunities succeed 
and <laughs> and I don't and that was at no charge for our time and our help. Right, we got nothing. So, out. so I, 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 multiple times I would try. They were like, "Oh, we're gonna do a workshop," and it's like, "Okay, here's my suggestions," and then I'd look at it and be like, "Okay, I got some more suggestions for you," and they're kind of like, "No, you're stupid." You don't or know what you're I put enough time into this. I'm not gonna put more time into it. The money should just come. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, they they kind of had that kind of mentality, and it, and it's kind of like um and i remember one time and it was 47 and i brought a lot of traffic to i uh, 45,000 views to his page and when he's trying to say that i never did anything and i pointed that out i brought 45,000 views and he, and he's like that's just that's just bots that's just spiders on the net that's not human beings and it's kind of like, well, why is it that the thread right next to it's only got 600 views? Why has yours got 45,000 and this other one's got... But it doesn't matter. He's already got it. It's it, when I... Sometimes when I talk to a person who has asked me for help, in fact, there's I'd say most people are this way. It's like they're asking me for help, but they've already got it all figured out. And, and it's like... Um, so the, I have people who ask me for help on a Kickstarter. Yes. And then I give them help on the Kickstarter. And they're like, no, no, that's just stupid. And then they go and they do their Kickstarter, and mysteriously it doesn't get funded. <laughs> and I don't know why, but my Kickstarter got 1,400% funded. Right. You know, and it's kind of like, I wonder which one of us was right. Right. And and so I try to help. I try, but they've, they're like, no, no, I'm a dumb fuck, and then they're smart. So it's like, okay, okay. Well, I, that was the three the three big issues that the whole community supposedly was behind. And now we're moving on to more of the complaints that um, 47 listed. Okay, I got... Okay, and there's... Before we move on to the... He's got a, a list of complaints. And so we're going to get to his list of complaints. Yeah. And we are more than halfway through. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and now I put a couple little quick notes on the side here. Um... It got back to me that some people were really upset that for 2017, we did not offer the residents a free PDC. So uh, in 2015 and in 2016, we offered any residents at Wheaton Labs to attend the PDC for free. Now, those were PDCs where you had to feed yourself. And um, and then this year, 2017, we lined up what I thought was a really amazing PDC, and there was food. And now, as anybody who's ever managed a PDC knows, food ends up being most of the cost. So I guess they felt like that I should um, supply all the food, pay for the cook, pay for the cleanup, pay for all the other things, basically pay for a $1,000 worth of stuff, even though they might be paying something on the order of $400 in rent. So, um, uh, right. Well, the rent that you go into the red, you go into right. the red, I'm providing already going in the red, and then they're and then they're supposed to also get a free PDC too, which costs. So we sold all the tickets to the PDC, yeah. and so it's not like there was a bunch of tickets lying around and free seats. We were packed. Yeah. And um, so, but apparently there was some serious resentment over this year we weren't offering. Uh, and, and I was really surprised by that. Like, you know, well, and because the other thing is, is that I offered to them 
exchanges, like doing work trades or something like that, and they none of them would touch it. Right. I offered work trades for all kinds of stuff. I offered, and it's like again the boot camp program. They don't want any part of the boot camp program. Right. And and to clarify, the boot camp program is usually an eight to five thing where they all cook their own food and that starts at like seven, seven thirty. And we supply so the food. We supply the food for them to cook their own oats or whatever in the morning and they start at eight together, take an hour off for lunch because again they may be cooking their own stuff if they want a hot lunch. And then it ends at five. And so it is an eight to five schedule like a normal work day and and yeah so that's that's tough so now uh in 2018 we will be offering a peasant pdc mm-hmm. and so uh this is a 30 day long pdc that's offered really 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 cheap super freaky cheap um, and uh, people will come, and, and a half a day of every day is classroom time, and a half a day every day is hands-on experience. Um, so it's a little bit like the Andy PDC that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I bring this up now because as we were planning it, it is going to be a PDC where everybody brings their own food, just like Andy's PDC. Um, and And I think that there's going to be some food augmentation, but, you know, really people should expect to provide their own food. But as I'm talking to the instructor about doing this and how this is going to work, the instructor was very concerned. And so the instructor is Erica. Erica is going to be the instructor for the... Uh, Erica um, Wisner. Erica was, will be the instructor. And she uh, was there for part of the 2016 PDC where um, residents could attend for free. Um... And because of two of the residents, she was saying, we can't do the food like that. I, I can't bear to ever attend an event and see that. So apparently two of the ants came to the, the PDC and they didn't bring any food. And they didn't, they didn't go around asking people for food, but it was pretty obvious that they were like starving to death. Mm. And, and so well. people, we're feeding them. Yeah. And um, anyway, it was it 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 sounded like it was like some people were okay with it. Some people were kind of like not okay with it. And and Eric was kind of like because the peasant PDC is going to be a feed yourself thing. It took us a long time to convince Erica that you know we're going to do the feed yourself thing. Yeah. And um, fortunately, Lily's going to be helping out with it, and and she's going to do a lot of teaching people wild crafting. Uh, and so you can get your own food. But she's also uh, working up connections to um, provide, you know, rice and beans and oats and, and, and have, some, have some staples provided. Yeah. So no one's going to go hungry. But still, it would be good if people did bring food and yeah. basics and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And, and everybody gets a chance to cook for themselves. But I don't know. There will probably be, I think, every event that we've had where people bring their own food, then there ends up being collaborations. You know, and that can work out. Yeah. But all right, now let's get let's get to the list of forty-seven here. Um, people were allowed to build their own composting toilet only if it was Paul's design, which is a fail. The poop barrel still had visible toilet paper and poop. Two plus years later, nothing composted. 
I, I added the emphasis. I, he probably didn't add that emphasis. <laughs> okay, I, I think it is not a fail. It's an ongoing experiment. The idea is to keep the carbon and nitrogen available to plants rather than sending it up into the atmosphere. So far, the material does seem to shrink to about half the size. So that means that about half of it composted. Or actually all of it composted, but it all ended up half the size. So, you know, half of, half of the material went up in the atmosphere via composting. Well, and the reason you have it closed up in a bin after the bin fills up, and these bins are 32-gallon garbage cans, yeah. um, the idea of closing it up, is is multifaceted. It's to keep um, uh, keep flies out of it, to uh, protect people from the pathogens, to protect the groundwater from excess nitrogen or pathogens. I mean, there's yeah. there's and that that worked. I mean, when you have it closed up in a bin, it may not compost as much as you wish, but you have protected groundwater. You have kept flies out of it. You have protected people from potential pathogens. So those three things did not fail. Well, and I like to think that eventually, you know, first we need to develop, we need to finish system one. And there's some stuff we still need to do. And uh, we covered it a bit in the PDC, which is, you know, all on video. Right, right. And, um, but uh, once we get plan A done, then I think, and that's going to be to basically, you know, keep as much carbon and nitrogen here Yes. Um, which means to not compost as much as we possibly can. Just, you know, keep it long enough that it'll become pathogen-free. Yes. Then I think it's good to come up with, like, black soldier fly larva solutions or red wiggler worms or, like, yeah, let's try composting. Let's let's do composting with bacteria. You bet. Um, and, you know, bacteria, funguses, all of those. And, you know, let's... let's that, that's an area to definitely explore. Maybe we could even come up with something that breaks down rapid enough that um, uh, the the can is difficult to ever fill up. <laughs> so yeah. that's anyway. All right. Uh, so it's still being worked on. It's it it was unfortunate how much people at the PDC there were those those negative people and and the negative oh, yeah. they <clears throat> they just wanted to mock your system without even giving any kind of a nod or understanding to the goals you had right. of keeping pathogens off food keeping you know, I mean, keeping it out of our drinking water and out of the I water. Mean, I mean, those are huge, and they wouldn't even talk about that. They're like, "Oh, you should just throw your humanure in the compost. It's fine." And I'm thinking, ah, <laughs> folks. So when 47 says nothing composted, there there is a lot of truth to that, mm-hmm. but half of it is gone. So it, yeah. it did compost. Yeah. All right. Uh, his next item is Paul has the most natural stockpile. Is natural? Yeah, that's the word natural. Paul has the most natural stockpile of human waste around. Maybe he has a scat fetish. Does he mean the hugest stockpile? He must mean a huge stockpile. Maybe, of maybe some that's kind, it. Um, I don't. I don't have a scat fetish. So let me just go on record saying I. I don't have a scat <laughs> fetish. No. Um, <laughs> In, in fact, I, I think uh, I, I think 
I go through, I possibly, when I go in and sit down and take care of some business, I, I might do more paperwork than most people because I have the opposite of a scout Right, fetish. you want it gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess 47 might say the same thing for anybody trying anything like this. So if you've ever tried a composting toilet, 47 is going to come and say that you have a scat fetish. Well, think about all the people here, too. So, I mean, all the people that come to PDC. If you have 35 visitors plus a dozen residents, you've got 50 people pooping once a day. Yeah, it adds up. And, And for, like, the first... Two years of Ant Village, at least the first year, if not almost the first two years, Ant Village residents were not managing their own human waste. It was all going in the Chateau de Pooh. So then you were having to store all of that and pay people to manage storing all of their shit, literally. And pay people to build the uh, the warehouse. Yeah, to store all the Pay for all the cans. Can. And, yeah, you and, bought the cans, paid for the building to store them, all of these things because people weren't managing their own and... It's possible that the total amount that has been paid for Ant Village rent so far doesn't cover... The management of their shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because they didn't, they didn't make their own uh, poops you know, management systems on their ant village plots. And then when they finally did, a lot of times they still use Chateau de Pooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. the, the Chateau is nice. So um, I I kind of feel like, uh, okay, the idea is that once the material is two years old, it is free of pathogens. So it's for safety. Yeah. Uh, sure. A lot of people think it will be safe in six months, but I think two years is much safer. Suggesting a scat fetish is a horribly mean thing to say, and a long list of horribly mean things to say. I think the mere suggestion of this tells us a lot more about 47 than about me. Yes. All right. His next point. Mice would climb in and out of the poop barrel. Flies would easily go in and out. And so my response. Because people would keep living the, leaving the lid up when not in use. Um, and d- despite being asked repeatedly to always keep the lid down when not in use. It's even in the directions. Yeah. Um, that are sitting right there. You don't have a whole lot to read, but that's you can read about that and what to do during Shark Week when you're visiting. I suppose that if 47 drives a car and the car keeps going into the ditch, he would say that cars do not stay on the road. Keeping a car on the road is a pretty simple thing, as is putting that lid down when you're done. As for mice, all of the reports I've heard was one mouse one time. As for flies, the new willow feeders have a a fly system that are working extremely well, and the one on the lab is the oldest and needs an overhaul. Yeah, and and I think it was uh, some newer residents that were using the Chateau de Pooh, um, and and I don't know why people freaked out so much about the mice. 
I, I tried to unravel that a little bit. I mean, it's icky. It's very icky. And it's kind of, you, there are mice everywhere on the lab and chipmunks and all kinds of... I mean, it's just normal that there's going to be that kind of wildlife. And yeah, it's extra creepy when it gets in human waste. And I'm still thinking, you know, these same mice... I'm sure they were run through bear shit. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. <laughs> run right, through right. Uh, moose and deer and elk and all, you know. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, no, the Chateau de Pooh is not all that close to Ant Village. You have to hike quite a ways. And so the mice would have to travel quite a ways. And. You know, what you do is you just make sure your house can mostly keep the mice out, you know, and then you set traps if the mice get in. I mean, that's just part of homestead living, isn't it? Yeah, there's there's mice. Although I do admit that if I had gone to the Chateau de Pooh and there was a mouse in the bucket, then... Um, which is not a bucket, uh, inside the barrel. Barrel is a better word. Barrel is more right. accurate. The can. The, yeah. If there was a, if there was a mouse in there with the poop, I would have found that really disturbing. I, yeah. I would not be okay with that. Yeah. I, and furthermore, I don't think I could do what I needed to do. <laughs> I would go to the other, uh, the, the other can. Yeah. <laughs> Cause there's two seats, you yes. know, one with a urine diverter and one with that. I would go to the other one. Yeah. And do what I needed to do in that one. And then, assuming that I'm a resident and I'm not going to touch that mouse because, ooh. Yeah. I would tell Fred. And ask him to, yeah, see and, if he could get it on the list to fix it. Yeah. 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 Or whatever, you know, get him out of there. And and it's like, and since then, we've kind of talked about like, you know what we need to do is put a big, bright orange sign on the inside of the lid that says, put lid down uh, when not in use or something. I mean... It's like wow, it is bizarre how often we go there and the lid is up. Well, and it's like, no, the system doesn't work while the lid is up. You have to have the lid down. Right, or go use your own system. <laughs> Don't yeah. use that. Yeah. So I think that is a difficulty for some people. This is a spousal argument a lot of times, even with flush toilets that are on septic or sewer. You know, the men leave the seat up and the woman gets upset that the seat and the lid are left up. Some people are just are lousy at that kind of thing, unfortunately. But, um, but in an off-grid system, it's kind of like you gotta learn how to turn the lights off if you're running on solar batteries, solar collect batteries. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're not going to have light for something when you really need it or, or juice for something when you really need it. So when you're living off grid, these are some of the things you have okay. to learn a for the, better. For the argument, for the great marital debate, <laughs> yeah. the great marital debate is to put the seat down. Yeah, seat and lid sometimes, yeah. Uh, okay, all right, yeah. all right. But I think I, I think the lid is, is like not making it to the the big message and i i gotta tell a story so <laughs> so as a kid my childhood had me bouncing around to a lot of different families yes and so for a while i lived with my aunt and uncle and um my cousin uh female 
uh, felt very strongly about how boys, and I was a boy, boys should always put the seat down. But she was not very nice to me. And at the same time, I had never learned this habit. So one day there came a lot of screaming. And she sat down. Falling in. And she was in and she couldn't get out. So she was stuck in there because because yeah. she sat down and the and the seat wasn't all right. So, uh, no, I read a funny. I think it was on Reddit actually. A funny about a guy who tried to sit on a toilet without the seat down and he fell in and like got stuck with his like junk hanging in the toilet water. Uh. <laughs> was like, I, but anyway, he was it was so funny and he was like, I so get why you want the seat down now. <laughs> he was just horrified. <laughs> I, I, uh, the, the big response to the request to put the seat down always is, is why don't you put this seat up when you're done because we don't want to touch it either. <laughs> anyway, all right, all right. But we're talking about the lid. We digress. Put the lid down right. to keep, I mean, it, it, it keeps it to a pressure negative system. Yes. So that way, um, uh, it's, it's it'll vent it better and it keeps the critters out of it all of that yeah there's no there's no smellums yeah. all of the air is going in through the lids and then out through the vent yeah. and then that way when you go in you don't smell anything and um uh, if there's any flies then the flies get caught in the fly trap which is on the other end of the vent right and so but it does require you to put the lid down when yeah. you're done yeah and so um and it is i mean it's different but I gotta say, when you talked about a flush system, um, boy, there are a lot of times when it's kind of like, you know, uh, I use a flush system and it's kind of like, uh, Willow Feeder does not have this problem. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's a lot to be said, but you know, this is, let's, let's get back, let's get back to this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, every time we entered, we're, Ant the lab. Okay, I, I I'm not sure if I'm. Did reading you it. copy and paste this from his? Yeah, stuff? yeah. Uh, the property uh, villages. Uh, we had oh. to open a huge metal gate. The gate was locked. The lock would get iced up and stuck regularly. We had to immediately relock it behind ourselves, keep others out or us in. What? What what is this about keep us in? He has a fucking key. Okay, first of all, the uh the the lock got sticky once in 4 years. Once. And in and then I I what I I've heard stories of uh, like cause what I did was I went up there and it was sticky. And so I texted Fred, gate lock is sticky. And I got a text back in 5 minutes. I'm on it. And yeah. then I heard from several people over like the the next week that um, yeah now it's great that the lock isn't sticky anymore because it was sticky before and it's like why didn't you tell Fred I don't know. Well, um, one person told me that it was sticky a lot and I asked the same thing. Oh, did you mention it to Fred? And that person said to me, Oh, I don't like to bother Fred. And I was like, What? Okay. I mean, and then I, it's anyway, um, super, super easy to make the lock not sticky. It 
and and people could even carry around their own stuff if they were that worried about it. But I don't think it was that bad. And usually Fred would take care of it right away if it was an issue. So the thing about locking people in is I have a feeling uh, one some Ant Village residents hosted people up there that we did not host and we did not give them a key and I have a feeling that those people were never provided with a key that they were being hosted by other Ant Village residents and it wasn't our place to give them a key and so I think they probably mu- Fred gave him a key I would I, I think would you know think. anybody I mean, that's like that Fred gives him a key yeah I would think the only thing is oh we don't want to bother Fred or okay, and then yeah. maybe they'd they never had a key and they had to wait for people to get out through the gate which is ridiculous I have yeah. um because that's not how we work that. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing I can guess why people I, said they were locked in, they couldn't get out. And I'm thinking, did you lose your key? Did there's, you? <laughs> there's people that have been here for only a day or two and we've given them a key. You, I mean, we've, we've, we've yeah. given so yeah. many keys. And then it's like, then we, then in time we run out of keys. Yeah. Because people don't bring them back. Yeah. And, and so then it's kind of like, you know, but so, I mean, yeah, how many, it happens. How and, many times have you locked but, yourself out of it, uh, your car or locked yourself out of your house because you misplaced a key? That's normal. Right. The, the, I, I think an important part of this is is that he's just being snotty. Like, oh, I'm locking, you know, he, first of all, he locked it and it's locking us in. And, <laughs> and it's kind of like, really, man? I mean, you're so desperate to come up with something negative to say that, that you have to say that. We've been locked in now, and the reason why I'm kind of stressing this little deal about being them being locked in is I've had eight people contact me. You locking people in? <laughs> no! How could you even suggest that? And it's like, look, the dumb fuck says he has a key, and he's suggesting that they're locked in. How stupid do you have to be to believe that I'm locking anybody in? So I think it's stuff like this where we're getting awesome people that are showing up because they're thinking, yeah, that's obviously. So it's like an IQ test. So so certain people read this and they believe I'm a monster and then they failed an IQ test and so they're not coming out. So that works out great for everybody, doesn't it? <laughs> and then oh, other people man. see us and they and they're like they pass the IQ test and then they come and awesome. Okay. Wasn't that a great group at the at the Jamboree? It was. Yeah. It was a great group. It was there was no negative. it was so nice to have such a not not a single person was a negative Nelly. So all right. Um oh, I kinda wonder if it was intentional. Like I wonder if somebody fucked with the lock. To make it stick, make it sticky. Mm-hmm. It's possible, but unlikely. I nah. think. I think it just has been used so many times that it kind of got a little sticky. Well, and and there was a little condensation in there that did ice up. So sometimes that happens. All right. Um, okay. The next point from forty-seven. The Ant Village Challenge prizes were removed because one competitor had to go be with his father, as he died of cancer during the competition's winter. My response. Not what I remember at all. Now you got to point out that that this was happening the October before May, right? And so it's kind of like everybody was happy the beginning of May. 
so if he's bringing this up, uh, you know, okay, so maybe maybe he decided that he was angry about it or something. Well, it's I have a feeling this part did fester over the winter and was a little festery in May, and that's why they had these three issues. I think it's a little bit. You think connected. it has to do this? Okay. A little bit connected. The Ant Village Challenge stated that there needed to be six ants at the finish line. As part of that, by October 15, 2016, uh, each ant in the challenge needed to have a winter shelter, and they would stay in their winter shelter through the winter. I seem to remember meeting with the ants around the end of October to figure out a way to keep the Ant Village Challenge going. At the time, there was only one shelter ready for winter. The discussion didn't get far before Evan said that he formally withdraws from the Ant Village Challenge, and that seemed to end it. Well, it was co- it was complicated. There was there was a lot that wasn't going well with the Ant Village Challenge, and one piece of it was one of the competitors did need to go back east because his father had cancer, but that was just one piece of it. The other piece was they were really not getting their homes at a level that was above winter camping. So there was that was a big piece of it that was taking hours and hours and hours of, well, what is winter camping and what isn't? Yeah. And then some of that, kind of like a telephone game, got totally exaggerated. Somebody said, oh, well, Paul says we it, it wasn't in what 47 listed. But I remember... It was just crazy, but they they started making up rules that you never made, <laughs> or, yeah. and and it got totally exaggerated. Um, but really, w- what it was is I, yeah, Evan decided to drop out, so then it went, it just ended right there, and I. Well, th- it was kind of a. Uh, and I mean, it really reflected well on Evan. Yeah. Because what came out during that meeting is everybody was basically saying, well, Evan's going to win. And so we're all doing this work so that Evan will win. Wow. And then Evan said something like, I don't want anybody's charity. And so I hereby officially withdraw from the Anfield's challenge. And that kind of seemed to make it be the end. Yeah, well, it it was complicated, and and it wasn't clear that Evan it wasn't totally clear that Evan would win. I don't think, but yeah, I mean, was, it was I mean, the people had a chance still, but I you tried to find a way to keep it going, and yeah. since the not all the rules were going to be met, you tried to find a way that there could still be a prize, but maybe not. You know, you tried to find a compromise is what you did because it wasn't going to be the full challenge because they didn't have the full, they weren't meeting the full rules. There wasn't even going to, there was, I mean, there were six people with one person leaving, we're down to five. Yeah. There's only one structure that's ready for winter. Right. And we're past the date when the structure has to be ready. Yeah. And, and it just looks like it's just not gonna happen. It's limping, it's faltering, it's sputtering. And so I was trying to come up with a way to keep it going. Yeah. And then Evan withdrew and it kind of seemed like that was the end. And no one was like saying, "Well, I still want to go. Can I try?" Yeah. No one said anything like that. And it just kind of seemed to be the end. Well, at my impression of that is they felt, "Oh, well, Paul can still just 
give a deep roots acre to somebody, even though we didn't meet any of the requirements. (laughs) Requirements. Paul should just still award it to the best one. And it was kind of like, but you've had, I, you know, people honestly had plenty of time to get it together to be closer to meeting all of these different things. But anyway, um, so, so I think what they I think expected they were was to say, that you wouldn't let give. us do winter camping. We don't have to have a structure. Yeah. And then uh, when when it comes down to the time of like, because one of the requirements was each person had to um, have 300,000 calories, which is about one third of what a person needs to live in a year on September 10th, 2017. So I suppose what I would have done on September 10th, 2017 is to say, okay. The rules state there have to be six people who met the finish line. Uh, only one person made it through the winter, and that person doesn't have a garden. And so, do I wait until then to say there are no winners? Right. No, no. It was. It was. Yeah. It. I. I think that sowed the first. Not by any fault on your part but I think their perception of how that should have gone down in their minds sowed the first seeds of discontent I thought in, in, a, in, an, ir, okay. in an immature and irrational way so I think I think that if a person and those are strong terms I feel bad because I like these people but I feel bad if, that I said if, that. A, if a person feels like they were fucked then, then yeah, I, I could see them saying, well, then I'm heading down the road. But that was, you know, at the beginning of May, everything seemed peachy. So, but anyway, the, the important thing is, is that he's bringing this up as part of the list of the slumlord thing. Right. And, and it's like... All the complaints. The bottom line is, is, is that I didn't, I didn't... When it came when it came to the Anvilas challenge, we didn't have enough people in it. And on top of that, I tried to rescue it several times. You extended it. You you know you it was supposed to be the year prior, but you extended it, and then it looked like it was going to happen. And then you know you kept trying to rescue it, and it just I think, didn't happen. I think that they got spoiled by the many many rescues I provided, and they wanted it to just continue to be rescued until we got to the end. And it's like nobody qualifies. There's zero people qualified and yet they still want me to give somebody an acre and it's like yeah I, I think that that was their expectation which right I think that if somebody has it's okay to want something like that want away it's good to want things but if somebody has the expectation then and they decide to be angry about it then I think it's time for them to head down the road and and if if 47 had been festering on this that whole time, then it's good that he went down the road. That's the, the system is designed for that. Right. Okay. Next one. Paul threatened to kick out one of the aunt's girlfriend because she would not listen to 200 podcasts. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's a true statement. Um, which, you know, was kind of refreshing after all this other stuff. Residents need to know what is going on and why. 
And this particular person had on multiple occasions told the group, including me, that the Paul way was the wrong way and her way was the right way. And everybody will be following her lead from now on. She is now in charge. I felt it was time that she at least listened to the podcast to get an idea of why we traveled this path. So, um, totally true. Totally true. And, and since then, I wrote stuff said, if you're going to be here longer than three months, if you're going to be a resident, like if you're going to get mail here, like we make a box for you to have mail, then you need to have listened to a certain number of podcasts. And so, um, because, because yeah, people come and they're like, you have to do it this way. And there's no discussion. She was not allowing discussion. I tried to explain why we are doing it the way that we're doing it. She wouldn't allow it. She told me the way it will be now and that everybody's going to do it this way now that she's here and uh, no no that doesn't work for me no all right next item on the list uh paul would not visit the lab for two months at a time in winter uh paul never stayed on the lab after dark (laughs) i think i stayed on the lab many times after dark it seems like there's a lot of times where i'm doing the lock at the gate and it's dark yeah see the thing is you work you live your life with a daytime schedule <laughs> you go to bed we joke about you being That's a true. pumpkin you, you're a pumpkin at 9.30 at night and they once in, once invited us up for a poker game but they weren't going to start the game till 8 or 9 at night and yeah. we just said uh, sorry even on the weekend we're too tired because yeah. You go to sleep at 9.30 and you wake up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning. And it's a daytime schedule. Sometimes I'm not as good as you are (laughs) with that schedule. I sometimes go to sleep a little bit later and wake up a little bit later. But I'm still, you know, usually, you know, up by like 7. So, um you know, sleeping in to me is eight or nine. That's sleeping in. But I, I think a lot of the um, Ant Village residents, you know, um, they didn't really get moving until 10 or 11. And they would stay up a lot later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is why they don't like the boot camp. Um, okay. So he says, Paul would not visit the lab for two months at a time in winter. So then um, I want to point out that when I had my spinal cord injury, I was stuck in bed for three months. So it makes sense that during that three months that yeah. I don't take a trip up to the lab. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of times uh, where weeks will pass and I don't go up to the lab. Um, well, and we've tried to make different ways to get up there more. We're just too busy trying to make money to pay for things. We're just, yeah, <laughs> trying, to, trying to pull it all and, off. And facilitate things. I mean, when you're, I mean, I get the mail every day. And then I sort mail for a dozen people. And we were gone for 10 days, and I asked (laughs) people to come by and get the mail while we were gone. Because mail theft is real, folks. There's a lot of mail theft. There's mail security that, you know, uh, identity theft, (laughs) anybody. And then you came back. And I came back. 
and the mailbox was stuffed full. Nobody got the mail. Yeah. Well, we were gone 10 days and it was, and I could see from a periodical that came on a certain date that we were, <laughs> it had been like at least a week. Yeah. So, I mean, there are things we do for a dozen people yep. all the frigging time that people don't even think about that we do for them. Okay, the next item on his list is, I have never seen Paul's overalls dirty. And so my response is, I do seem pretty locked into my office, although there are quite a few things I have done myself. Most of the time, it's uh, I'm in the office doing things that cannot be farmed out to others. And then uh, there's there you wrote something. There. Yeah. So the funny thing is, it's like oh, there's no wages, and we only get funny money, and there's no money, and you know, and it's like they're saying, <laughs> you know, I mean, how is Paul supposed to have money for bounty work and be out there doing the bounty work himself? It just yeah, it doesn't always work that way. I'm you know, I make the best of it, and I find myself glued to the office because there's just a ton of stuff that I'm the only person that can do it and I can't farm it out. But then the stuff that can be done here can be farmed out. And so, uh, but there's still, I mean, every day there's stuff that only I can do and I don't get to that. And so it's, it's kind of like, um, I, it is, it's, it's fucked up. It's really fucked up. Um, and it's, I mean, when I was on Mount Spokane, I spent 15 hours a day outside, and I totally neglected all my online stuff. Um, but it's like, in order to pull this off, then uh, I, there's a bunch of online stuff I got to do. We got to record this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, got to put out videos. Got to manage the community. Got. I mean, there's a long, long list of things that I do all day long, every day. Including a lot of emails and um, oh man, there's so many emails. Yeah. And so it's it's like I am trying to make the best of it between all the different little things that have to be done. So yeah, if if somebody comes out here and they're expecting to be elbow to elbow with me while I'm out there, you know, laying down mulch, which we'll probably be doing tomorrow, <laughs> um, then uh, you're going to be disappointed. It's boring. You get to be elbow to elbow with Fred. Uh, sometimes Jocelyn, um, other boots, uh, other people that are residents here, um, you know, the, 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 the people that teach that come by so often, um, that's who you're elbow to elbow with. But it is rare that I'm out there. I mean, there are projects that I have gone out and done myself. Those aren't. Those are more the exception than the norm. So I don't want anybody to be thinking that. I used to be. I used to be very much in the field, and uh, now I'm not. This podcast is continued in part four. Don't forget, go out to Patreon.com/slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.